song to be used of God is my desire. Amen? That's a good one. I hope that's our heart and our desire to be used of God. Amen? Well, we're going to be dealing tonight with the uh, third of our uh, marriage uh, lesson or message, and so we're going to uh, address uh, the issue of marriage is to be enduring, not eroding. And so we're going to talk about that today and give it uh, some thought. And uh, before we get started, I, I did... Uh, read about a, and I hope, I hope I don't offend anybody here today, but I think we're all friends, we can handle it, uh, a blonde and a, a redhead, they have a ranch, okay? They've got a ranch, all right? Now, so, uh, I know, politically incorrect maybe, but, you know, I don't know what to tell you, okay? You know, the facts are the facts. And, well, I'm talking about the story I'm going to read, okay? So anyway... A blonde and a redhead, they have a ranch, okay? So they, they just lost their bull. And uh, the woman, uh, one of the women, they, he says, you know, we need to buy another one. And we only got 500 bucks. So the redhead tells the blonde, you know, I'm going to go to the market and see if I can find one for under that amount. You know, find something for under $500. And if I can, I'm going to send you a telegram. So she goes to the market and she finds one for $499. Having only one dollar left, she goes to the telegraph office, and unfortunately, when she arrives there, she finds out that it costs one dollar per word. She's stumped, doesn't know how in the world she's going to tell her blonde friend, the blonde, to bring the truck and the trailer. Finally, she tells the telegraph operator to send one word, comfortable. 
the operator looks at her kind of skeptical and says, well, how in the world is she going to know to come with the trailer just from that word? The redhead says, well, she's a blonde, so she reads real slow. Come for Tabul. Okay. All right. Now we could have put more than it could have been anybody. It could have been a brunette. It could have been, I don't know, a, a, I don't know, bald woman. It could have been anything. I mean, I don't know. You know what I mean? It could have been anything, right? So, all right. I just, uh, you know, you're not allowed to plagiarize things and you're not allowed to change things that other people wrote, so I couldn't change it, you know. So, anyway. All right. Well, anyway, we've talked about over the last few weeks, we've talked about marriage, and we said marriage is to be enjoyed, not endured. And then we said marriage is to be evolving, not existing. And now, tonight, we just want to touch on this idea marriage is to be enduring, not eroding. And so, we want to take just a few minutes tonight and consider that. And, uh, you know, if our marriages are going to endure the test of time, then we must take steps to ensure that they're not eroding. Uh, Bob Guza, he's a researcher at San Diego Script Center for Coastal Studies. He says that California beaches are threatened due to a sand shortage. According to this researcher, the sand shortage is a result of damming the rivers for flood control, which uh, basically has cut off some of the supply of sand to the beaches. Combine that with the rising sea levels and your beaches are threatened, he says. So the beaches are in a constant state of erosion as well as a result of all of that. And the fact is is that he believes that over time, possibly 50, 75 years, we could be in a position where we lose some of those beaches as well as or at least some significant portions of them to where they narrow so much that maybe they're not really that usable. All a result of erosion. Guza says that there are some strategies that can stem the tide over time but that they're going to demand attention and they're going to even demand investment. You know, our marriages are in the same boat. The truth is that our marriages are in a constant state of natural erosion. If we stand by and do nothing about them over time, the fact is is that our marriages will be found in extremely bad shape. If you do nothing about your marriage, if you take no steps to sure it up, then I want you to know that in the long run it's going to be a mess. Steps have to be taken in order to guarantee that our marriages remain healthy and happy and stand the test of time. It's just a reality. Not only are our marriages at stake, but the, re- the truth is that our futures, the futures of our children are as well. And that's something that we always need to be very mindful of. The stability of your marriage, the stability of your home, it plays a major role in how well adjusted and stable your children will be in the future. That puts a tremendous amount of responsibility on our shoulders as parents. The idea that we can deviate from biblical, the biblical model of marriage, the biblical model of family, that we can do those things without real consequences are unrealistic to say the least. It's not going to happen. And so the fact is, is if we produce only chaos in our marriages, if we we continue to uh, increase the confusion in our marriages and and even possibly uh, fail to remain together in that marriage. The children run a greater risk 
of developing mental and emotional issues. They are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, and they have a greater risk of immoral behavior. Those are all statistics. It's just a bottom line. It's the way it is. That's not a matter of a preacher talking. That's researchers talking. It's just the reality. You say, well, that's not fair to say those things. Well, it, it's just real. And sometimes we're good in America of not wanting to deal with the truth. We want to say things and do things that are feel good. Now, let me tell you something. If you are a single parent in this room today, you are facing overwhelming odds. It's not saying that God can't supernaturally intervene and God can't do a natural, supernatural work in the lives of your children and you, but I want you to know statistically, your children are at risk more so than parents with two, more so than children with two parents in the home. It's just a reality. It's not a, it's not a matter of opinion. It's a reality. And those are the kind of things we don't want to talk about. And so then we write other articles to talk about the benefits of a single parent home just to make everybody feel good. But the reality is, is that God intends us to have husbands and wives in homes, and He intends us to have a biblical model. And in this room, for the most part, we have biblical models, at least. Oh, there are some that are struggling and have had issues in their past and unfortunately have ended up in a position where they're raising their children on their own. Uh, man, you need the support of a good local church. You need the, the encouragement of those around you. And you need others to be there to say, hey, mama's right or dad's right and you, you can't deviate. I mean, you need that today. That's important. And I do believe God can overcome what the world would say would be inevitable. But it's important that we work on these marriages then. It's so, so critical, so vital. I mean, how important is the well-being and future success of your children to you? How serious are you about providing the kind of environment and support structure that will offer your children the best possible opportunity for success in life? What changes and sacrifices are you willing to make to ensure that that happens? See, when we model a biblical marriage in the presence of our children, they're going to be equipped with the tools needed to succeed in marriage themselves. One of the greatest reasons, I believe, why marriages today are failing in our culture by, I mean, just leaps and bounds, it's just really becoming much more difficult to see successful marriages, is because very few couples have had a very, have had good role models in this area. It's becoming less and less a reality that you find mom and dad actually enjoying marriage, that you find them enduring, not just, and, and a marriage is not eroding all the time. That's not, that's not common anymore. I mean, it used to be you saw people celebrating their, their 50th wedding anniversaries on a regular basis. Now, somebody gets to 50 and we're all like, wow. And it's not just because they're older and we go, wow, it's because they've been together 50 years and they're still going strong. I mean, you hear about people being divorced at 35 years of marriage now. How is that possible, folks? You know, how do we get to the place where after 35 years of being together, we say it's time to give it up and quit? It's because all along it's been eroding. It's been eroding. Little by little, falling apart, we're just existing in our marriages. And God wants so much more for us than that. And honestly, the fact is, is that our children deserve more than that.
when our marriages endure a lifetime, they pave the way for our children. The example we set forth and the legacy we leave behind continues to pay dividends in their lifetime as well. And that's so important. I'm not here to debate why or when it's time to call, call it quits. I'm not going to do that. I'll deal with that in the office, one-on-one. But I can tell you this. It doesn't matter what the reason is. It's not easy on the kids. It's never easy on the children. And it's not easy on you if you're serious about your marriage. And if anything, you need somebody to tell you that you're still loved and you're still accepted and there's still hope. And there is in Christ. Amen? Amen. The greatest disservice that we can do, I believe, to our children by not modeling an enduring marriage is that we're guilty of skewing their view of God. Christ is the head of the church, the Bible tells us, and marriage is a picture of the Lord's relationship with His people. So as we look at the marriage, it's really telling us or showing us how God deals with His people and how His people are to deal with Him. When we fail in our marriages, we fail to properly reflect the character and person of God. Because, see, God is forgiving. God is long-suffering. God is consistent. God is faithful. And God exhibits unconditional love. How our children view God is directly affected by our relationship with our husbands and wives. And it's so important that we have the proper relationship. Because if that relationship suffers, then often our children can grow up with trust issues, identity issues, validation issues, confidence issues, worth and acceptance issues. These are all things that seem to arise out of difficult and destructive relationship, not to mention divorce itself. So it's not just enough that you are married. You need to work on having a good marriage, a godly marriage, a marriage that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that difficulties arise in relationships. There's no doubt about that. But there is a lot at stake here, folks. And we are seeing the repercussions of a generation who has failed to accept, receive, and to, to, to accept and receive responsibility today. We're, we're in bad shape as a nation because our families are falling to pieces. They are disintegrating before our very eyes. And you can go ahead and talk about how churches are falling and how the gospel's not being preached and how our school system's failing the, our, our children and this and that. But I'm telling you, the real issue are the homes in America. That's right. We have got to get a handle on our homes. And you know what? I can't fix your home and you can't fix my home. But I can fix my home. I can do something about mine. And I don't have a responsibility as a pastor. I have a responsibility to try to help you if you want help. But I'm saying as a person, I can't, I can't fix what's going on down here in this guy's life or that guy's life. But I can. I have control over what goes on in my life, my marriage, my home. I have something to say about that. And all I'm saying is, believers, we better take responsibility for what we have responsibility for. 
what we can change and what we can do. And if you're in a marriage today, you need to make up your mind to work on that thing, to make it what it ought to be. It's essential that we learn how to speak to and respond to one another. It's essential that we forever sure up the foundation of our relationships and build upon those foundations consistently. Again, the stakes are just so high that we can't afford to stand by and do nothing hoping for the best. It's not going to happen. I hope my marriage gets better. It won't. You're going to have to take steps to make it better. You can't just hope. You can't just come to church and think your marriage is going to be better because you come to church. It ain't, it's not going to happen. You have to do something about it. You're going to have to make some changes. Well, what about them? I'm, I don't know. If you're here, you're the one we're talking to tonight. Somebody has to step up and take the first steps. We've got to do something. If our marriages are going to endure and not erode, then we need to make sure that the foundation is strong. And tonight I want to share just a few foundational elements that I believe can help our marriages. Our marriages help our marriage to be enduring, to stand the test of time in the face of the wicked generation we live in. There are so many obstacles that we face to have the right kind of marriages. I'm going to make a statement, and, 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 and I, I, I didn't intend to say it, but I feel impressed to say this. I'm telling you this right now. Get the pornography out of your marriages. Gentlemen, you better get a handle on it or you're going to lose your marriages. I'm just, I don't know why, but you need to hear that tonight. I am convinced that that issue is destroying more marriages in America today than probably almost anything else. And I'm telling you, the lewdness and the openness of our culture is destructive. It is not helpful. It is destructive. You better be careful what you're viewing, what you're listening to, and what you're watching. You better be careful. It will affect your marriages so negatively. And ladies, you know that men aren't the only ones these days. This ridiculous junk of books and magazines and stuff that's so unrealistic in relationships. Better be careful. So I just thought I'd say that before we move on. Um... It's, it's destructive. Father, we need you tonight. Help us. We, I, I feel at a loss, Lord. I honestly don't even know what to say sometimes. I, I'm so burdened down by the, the condition that we find our marriages in, our homes in, in America today. But sadly enough, Lord, at times, even in the church, and Lord, no wonder our churches are struggling when our marriages are struggling, our families are struggling. There's no way in the world, Lord, that churches can maintain a strong and a vibrant life if the families and the homes and the marriages aren't strong and vibrant. Father, we're only as strong as our weakest link as well. Father, we need to grow up in Christ, and we need to, Father, grow in our marriages and our relationships. And our children need to see an example of parents that love one another, care about one another, are considerate toward one another, and that work together for a common purpose and a common goal. Father, may you just bless us now and help us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just give you a few foundational elements. Number one, if you're going to have a marriage that is 
enduring and not eroding, you're going to need a cherished commitment. A cherished commitment. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews 13, 5. A cherished commitment. The Bible says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I want to focus on that last statement. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that's something. Boy, never is a long time, isn't it? It's a long time. In Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Paul, a servant of God and the apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So we know that God can't lie, but he also tells us here that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Therefore, we know that God's going to be there no matter what. You talk about a commitment. God makes a commitment to you and I. And he says, listen, I've, I've joined you. I came together with you that day that you said I do to me. I said I do to you. And the reality is, is that I am with you always. I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He makes a very cherished commitment. And he stands by that commitment. And he says, I'm going to keep my commitment to you. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder about that one. See, the foundation of a cherished commitment is your character. The foundation of a cherished commitment. What lays the foundation for this aspect of commitment is your character. Listen, when a person makes a promise and they have no character, then there is no commitment. It's all on your character. That's what lays the foundation here. So a cherished commitment, this, the foundation of it is a, of that commitment is your character. Your, your commitment is only as good as your character. That's right. Number two, though, the focus of a cherished commitment is your companion. Right. Amen. See, our wedding vows are made to a person, not to an institution. Amen. That's right. We didn't make a commitment to marriage. We made a commitment to a person. And so when we divorce, we're not simply ending a marriage, we're breaking a promise. I made a commitment to both God and my wife, and so did you. Or God and my husband, in the case for you ladies. Listen, we made a commitment to a person, not some institution. Well, this marriage stinks, it's not worth having. Yeah, but that's not what you made a commitment to. You made a commitment to a person. A cherished commitment. The foundation of a cherished commitment is your character. The focus of a cherished commitment is your companion. But the fruit of a cherished commitment is confidence. See, when each person is convinced that the other is equally committed to the marriage, then there's a confidence that comes as a result of that. See, to be committed, as the vows say, until death do us part, is invaluable to the longevity and stability of any marriage. When we make a commitment with that, that altar, and again, I'm not trying, I'm, listen, this isn't about 
dissing anybody. This isn't about being mean toward anybody. This isn't about pointing anybody out. This is about protecting the next generation. This is about helping them understand. You don't enter lightly into a marriage. You don't take it for granted that if it doesn't go well, you can just give up or end it. We live in a culture today that doesn't make, have, that doesn't have any real scruples when it comes to commitment. They could care less. I mean, anything can bother them. It's like the Old Testament. When the Old Testament Jew was turned around having problems in their marriage, if they weren't pleased with somebody, they felt they had any right, they had any, they could do anything they wanted. And if they just got, lady stand, I'm sorry, ma'am, you don't please me anymore, so therefore I'm divorcing you. And it got bad. Jesus addresses those issues. As a matter of fact, he tells Moses, for the hardness of your heart, I gave them a bill of divorcement. I allowed that to take place because people were not handling this properly. Guys were just divorcing women because they didn't please them. They didn't cook the meals they liked. They didn't physically provide for them the way they thought they should in every situation. They weren't there for them the way they thought. So I'm just divorcing you. I'm getting rid of you. I want nothing to do with you. And, and God said, this is not working. Man, listen, you, you took the best years of their life or you took the best thing that they had and now you're going to turn around and just throw them off to the side because they no longer please you, you selfish, inconsiderate lump of flesh. Yeah. So what he did was he said, I'm going to allow them to have a bill of divorce and I'm going to permit that to protect the woman. That's what divorce was originally for, to protect the woman who was being taken advantage of. But we live in a culture today that's falling on the same kind of mentality. Somebody doesn't please me, well, I'm sick of it. I'm tired. They don't do what I, they don't, it doesn't, it didn't work the way I anticipated. It doesn't play out the way I had imagined. Therefore, this ain't for me. I'm done. Well, unfortunately, that marriage is, you're going to have a rough time. The fruit of a cherished commitment is confidence. I'll tell you what, when you make a decision that I'm going to be, committed to you till death do us part like you promised at the altar and you in that and both people are aware of that and both people believe that and i believe that you're equally committed to me as i'm equally committed to you there is a confidence that's created in that relationship now i can be myself a little bit now you can be yourself now i know when i mess up it's not going to end my relationship now i know that i can make a mistake here or i can mess up over there and i'm still going to have somebody that's going to be there for me and then I'm going to have the same, make the same commitment now. I don't have to worry at every turn. Well, did I please her? Didn't I please her? Did I meet her needs? Didn't I meet her needs? And Oh, did I please him or didn't I please him? Did I meet his needs? Didn't I meet his needs? Oh, well, we go looking for somebody else. Will you just be done with me? Will you be finished with me? You don't have to worry about that if there's a cherished commitment. And that commitment is made in an altar. When you say, till death do us part to God into that person. And then you have to live that. A cherished commitment. Number two, another foundational element that enables us to, 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 to keep a marriage enduring and not just eroding is a clear concern. A clear concern. In 1 Peter 5, 7, turn there, would you please? Again, like I said, I'm not addressing exceptions here. I'm dealing with the norm. I'm dealing with what the model is in the Bible. 
I'm not going to debate what should or shouldn't happen in this situation, that situation. Is this one right? Is this one wrong? Should you this and should you that? I don't know. I don't have all the answers. And certainly in a size like this, somebody's going to be offended. I hope not. But I know this much. There's not one person that's ever been divorced in this room that wants your child to go through what you went through. I know that much. I know that much. And that's what we're trying to do right now. We're trying to spare those that are in the relationship now and those who are going to enter into one. You young men, it'll be so tempting to want to marry the first little thing that runs, comes past you and looks pretty and treats you with, and acts like she loves you with all her heart. And you finally say, I finally found somebody that loves me for who I am. And you'll be so tempted just to take that plunge. You better wake up and smell the coffee buster. They say that women marry, uh, well, men marry women hoping they'll never change. Women marry men believing they'll change them. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I know it's supposed to meant to be somewhat of a joke, but I think there's a little truth in that. Look, fellas, she's going to change. And ladies, unfortunately, you probably won't change him as much as you think. So he better be or she better be what God wants him to be or her to be right off the bat. If you think you've got to do any molding or making, you've done messed up and took the wrong person. Or you're going to have a long battle on your hands because once you say, I do, you did. It's on now. <clears throat> a clear concern. 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. Notice again, it's talking about the Lord and talking about our relationship with the Lord. Again, every time we turn around, our marriages go back to our relationship with Christ. They always go back to that picture. The marriage is nothing but a picture that reveals and shows us what the relationship between God and His church is and the relationship between the church and his, its, its husband or the Lord. We're His bride. And in this case, He says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. The reason you and I can confidently cast our cares on the Lord is rooted in His care for us then. That's why we can cast our cares on Him. That's why we're confident to do so. Because of His care for us. When we consider the sacrifice that He made, the, the sacrifice He made on our behalf, huh, how can we even question His love and concern? I just don't know if God loves me. How can you even say that after what he's done for you. Amen. I, I'm not saying how do you feel, but in your mind, intellectually speaking, what did Christ do for you? And if somebody's willing to give themselves like that for you, you can't tell me they don't care for you, can you? Can we honestly say he doesn't care after he's willing to lay his life down for us? And because He cares so much for us, we can trust Him with any concern, any conflict, any care that we have in our life. And if He's willing to die for me, then I'm sure that He's concerned about how I live. He wants me to be happy. He wants me to be fulfilled. He wants me to be satisfied. There's no doubt about that. So my question today is this. What have you done or continue to do that reflects your care and concern for your spouse? See, the only way they know that you really are concerned about them is that you have done something to prove it. What do you do to prove that you care? What makes them confident that you care? 
But we hear all the time, a woman, you know, says, Mo, my husband, he doesn't care about me. All he cares about is watching television and going hunting with his buddies or playing ball with his friends. He don't care about me. He doesn't care, want to do anything with me. He doesn't like to, you know, he acts like, uh, you know, I'm the plague sometimes. The only time he wants something to do with me is when he wants something. And you know what? You got to wonder. You say to yourself, well, yeah, absolutely. That sounds a little selfish to me, too. Now, how in the world is she supposed to cast her cares on you when she doesn't even believe you care for her? You're doing nothing to prove. Well, I go to work and I provide. Oh, whatever. That's important and you need to do that. And that's a big part of things. But wait a second. There are other needs in life other than a roof overhead. I mean, are you quick to demonstrate your concern by listening? By lifting their burdens, by taking the lead at times as a, as a man? What would compel your husband or wife to trust you with their greatest concern? Can they trust you with their concerns? Do they really believe you are concerned about them and care about them? Those are things you better talk about. If you don't, can't point the things you do and things that they respond to and obviously are grateful for, then you better start asking the question is, you know, do you believe I care about you? Or do you believe I just care about me? Those are the kind of questions you need to ask your wife or husband. A clear concern. If you don't have a clear concern for your spouse, then your marriage is deteriorating, my friend. And they got to understand. Just because, and you say, I have a concern for them. Yeah, but do they know that? See, it's not enough that you know that in your mind. Oh, I, I love my wife and I'm so concerned about her. Okay, what does she, does she know that? And the same thing with you later. Well, he knows I care about him because I do this and I do that. Well, wait a second. Does he know that? It, you, you, you might want to take some time to think about it. I'm telling you, marriages are eroding all the time. If we're not taking positive steps in the right direction, if we're not replacing the sand, it's being washed out to sea, friend. If I asked your spouse today, how do you know he or she cares for you? What would be their response? What would they tell me? I can't tell you how many times people sat across the desk from me and someone, one or the other, and sometimes both. A lot of times it's both. He doesn't care about me. She'll say, oh, she don't care about me. And you watch the two children fight. You hear me good. They act like kids. It's time we grow up and be adults. It's time we face our problems head on. It's time we quit blaming somebody else and start taking some responsibility for what's going on in our marriages. As long as the problem's someone else, I promise you, your marriage will never be fixed. It won't be fixed. 
because as we're going to find out in a moment, it takes two to tango. So if you've already checked out and you believe it's all their fault, all their problem, then I promise you, your marriage is done. Sooner or later, it's over. You say, but you don't know what my wife's done. You don't know what my husband did. I'm telling you, the moment you think it's all them, and they have to do all the changing, your marriage is over. I mean, it's completely done. It's never going to come back. Because they're never going to meet your, your, your expectation at this point. It's, it's done. Number three, if we want that foundation, we want our marriage to endure, to be enduring, not eroding, then we're going to need a constant communication. We touched on this a little bit, but Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. It's wonderful again that God, we can call on him at any time. And he says, I will answer thee. It's not just, okay, you can talk to me, but I'm not listening necessarily. No, he says, you call unto me and I will answer thee. Then he goes on to say, and I will shew thee great and mighty things, which thou knowest not. That means he's going to take steps to address the issue. He may not address them the way we want them dressed, addressed. He may not do what we ask him every time. He's going to answer us. He's not necessarily going to answer the way we want him to answer. Lord, I really would like an escalade. He's going to answer all right. Uh, Make more money. <laughs> but anyway, you know, he, he's just, I'm just saying he's going to answer and he's going to respond. And he can show us great and mighty things if we're asking in his will. But, you know, it's like that in our marriages. and it, It's the same way. There needs to be a constant line of communication there. There needs to be a back and forth. There needs to be a give and a take in that regard. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. You know what that is? Communicating with God without ceasing. And that's on our part. He tells us that we're to communicate with Him without ceasing. Not that He's responsible to talk to us, although He does to His Word, and He's available and always there for us anytime we need Him. And His Spirit is always communicating and speaking to us as necessary and needful. But we're to communicate with Him. May I say today again, wives, you need to communicate with your husbands. That's what He tells the, the church to do for Him. But gentlemen, you have to also be Jeremiah 30 through 3. Honey, call unto me and I will answer thee. And shew thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I'm listening, dear. My ear is open. A constant communication. We, A, must always be available. Can always be available. Now listen, it's tough. Your husband comes home, works a 16-hour day, and then you say... I tried to talk to him last night. It was midnight and he wouldn't talk to me. Uh, let me tell you, ladies, that may not be the time to try to talk to him. I mean, let's just be honest. That, that may not be the time to have this in-depth conversation about, you know, Anne of Green Gables. Whether she should be called Anne with an E or not. You know, and I know I'm sure it's a little more serious than that. But I'm just saying you have to pick and choose sometimes and some things aren't necessarily as important as others and certain things have to wait, some things don't. But we still, gentlemen, ladies, both, we need to be available. I don't know how many times, I, I, thought, I, th- I thought about this all the time as a, as, as a dad in, in, in the home. I would think all the time, what if I missed an opportunity to talk to one of my children or to, to be there in a time of great crisis or need and I may not, see, because here's what happens, okay? If you work with teenagers at all, you work with children at all, you learn something very quickly, that their problems, however minuscule and however small they may seem to you, are huge in their eyes. They're huge. 
So you know what that makes them to me as a parent? Huge. That doesn't mean that I, I go crazy when I, oh, so-and-so said that to you. Oh, oh, we got to deal with that. Oh, I can't stand it. I can't even believe that you're standing straight after hearing that horrible, oh, oh, he called you a name. Oh, dear. Oh, that's horrible. I never made a big deal of things, okay? I always try to play everything down. Everything gets played down. But on the other hand, there are some things that are extremely important, and I'm going to address them, and I'm not going to dismiss them. I couldn't afford to do that because what if they are important to them? And gentlemen, let me say something, and this, I'm probably getting into another area, but the fact is, is this. If your wife has a problem, you do. And by the way, ladies, if your husband has a problem, so do you. That's just the way it is. Well, it's not mine. That's stupid. I think she's stupid. That's a dumb thing. Well, that dumb thing's now your problem. Last time I checked, the goal of marriage is what? Oneness. It's oneness. And, and if we're one, then guess what? Then that means that when she's got a problem, I do too. Literally have a problem. Because we're one. We're one. You say, but it's dumb. It doesn't make sense. It's irrational. You got a problem. You better deal with it. We must always be available. We must always be asking. We've got to ask questions. How, how are you doing today? And really want to hear. And really want to hear. Not... How you doing today, hon? <laughs> Click. Ball game. Man, the Indians are on. This is awesome. Uh, honey, why my day was... Okay. Hold on a second. Man, two outs, bottom of the sixth, two men on. I'll get with you in a minute, hon. You shouldn't ask then. If you didn't mean it, you shouldn't have asked. But you should have asked anyway. And you probably should have taken even two minutes to listen. And she would have probably been happy. <coughs> Now, some women might need two hours. I don't know. But whatever it takes, you married her. I didn't, okay? Deal with it, fellas. Okay? You got to be asking the questions, okay? Because you know what? Uh, you, can't know or you can't know anybody. You don't know what's going on with their life or what's taking place in their heart if you don't ask questions. Constantly communicating. We must always be accepting. I tell you, one of the, time, one of the things is about communication is scary, isn't it? Because sometimes you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. I mean, sometimes, guys, you avoid that conversation with your wife because you know she's going to say something you don't want to hear. Like, you're not going to talk about how much you spent at the grocery store or how much you spent at the store because you know that credit card is going to be off the charts. No, no, that's not really the one you're worried about. But you get thinking that your marriage might be slipping some and you're worried about where she was or what she's doing. And you're afraid to ask the questions because you're afraid of what you might hear. And instead of your marriage getting better, it just keeps getting worse because she thinks you don't care because you don't communicate. And you just get madder and more jealous and angrier. And she feels it, but she don't know why. You've got to be asking questions, yes. You need to be available, but you also need to be accepting and be willing to say, you know what, I'm here. And you may say some things I don't want to hear but I'll still accept you and I'll still love you. Because, remember, we made a cherished commitment. So I, I'm listening. Give it to me double-barreled, I guess. I'll take it on the chin, but I've got to know what's going on or I can't, honestly, our marriage is not going to work. So a constant communication. We, always be, we must always be available, always be asking, always be accepting. Number four, 
So we've already noted just a couple here. We've noted, first of all, a cherished commitment, a clear concern, a constant communication, and number four, a consistent cooperation. Again, if our marriage is going to be enduring and not disintegrating, not eroding, then we need a, con- a consistent cooperation. Romans twelve eighteen. Turn there, if you would, please. And again, he's dealing again with the church again, and he's talking to him about the relationship with the world. The relationship with the world. And the relationship with the church, people in the church. Now, the Lord is not ignorant to believe that everybody's going to get along the way they should. Especially when it comes to the world. When it comes to the world. Now, can I, I'm just going to be frank with you and honest with you. God never expects children of God in here not to get along. He, he doesn't. You know, the, and again, we say this idea, you know, the Bible tells we have to love everybody, but we don't have to like everybody. And that's pretty weak for Christians. And, and within the context of the church. That's like saying, well, you know, I love my brother, but I don't like my brother. Well, then you guys need to work on your relationship some because you better get it figured out. I mean, you're brothers and sisters. You're supposed to be going in the same direction. You're supposed to be accomplishing a, a, a like mission and a like goal. You know, there's nobody in this church that you ought to be at, at war with or that you have a problem with. You better deal with some things in your life. And listen, if you're jealous of somebody, it's probably because you are insecure. It's probably not them. It's you. Well, I don't like them because I think they're always looking at my wife and oh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know what, dude? You better just grow up and get some man pants on and realize that your wife's, your wife's with you because she chose you, okay? Amen. And the truth is, if she wants somebody else, you ain't going to stop her anyway, so you might as well quit worrying about it. But you better learn to get along with people. You better learn to deal with things. You know what the Bible says here? And if you do have a real problem with somebody, why don't you go talk to them like a man? And deal with it. And ladies, why don't you, instead of getting on Facebook and talking about each other, or getting with your buddies or friends and talking about why don't you go to that person and deal with them face to face? And in all kindness and Christian love, say, listen, I just want you to know that in, in hope of maintaining and continuing a, a good, solid you know, walk with God, I want to make sure my relationships with people are right. And you know what? Right now, to be honest with you, I'm struggling because I feel this way about the situation. And I'm really having a difficult time. And I'm just wondering, am I reading that right? Or am I, is that just something that I'm making up in my head? I want to hear from you. Right, that's it. That would be a good way to approach it. That's Instead of blaming somebody already, just go there and say, listen, it might be me. I'm just kind of curious. I need to know what's going on here. I want this settled because I have a relationship with the Lord that I have to maintain. And right now, I'm struggling with that because I'm having a hard time with you. And I want to make sure that it's not my fault. I'm not reading this wrong. So here's what I'm feeling. What do you say? Where where will you come from with that? That'd be a good way to handle things. Now, a consistent cooperation. Look what he says in Romans 12, 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. He's not talking about Christian really here. He's talking about all men. That means that with the world, with the world, he's telling us, you and I right now as believers, he's saying live peaceably with all men, as much as lieth in you. Give it everything you've got to make every relationship in this world work. You want to know why? Because it's going to ultimately be our responsibility to win them to Christ. And if our relationship isn't what it ought to be, then guess what? We will never have any influence in their life. And so he's telling us, the church, he's saying to us, if, it's, if it be possible, if there's any way possible, as much as life in you, with every ounce of ability, strength, and with every ounce of energy you've got, live peaceably with all men. Do nothing to instigate conflict. How much more do you think that applies to our marriages? 
He really. Maybe he expects that out of the most wicked, vile, wretched sinner out in the world. And I'm still, listen, I don't care if the guy runs around with a motorcycle jacket, he's got piercings all over his body, and he says he hates Christianity, and he especially hates preachers. I'm to do all I can to get along with him. I'm to do everything I can to get along with that guy. Hey, man, how you doing? I hate you preachers. Well, bless God, God loves you, and so do I. I mean, I'm telling you, we have that responsibility. And how much more then should this be a, re, a, 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 a responsibility of us as married men and women? The Bible teaches that we've got to do our very best to get along with one another, even the world. So we can convince ourselves that we've done our very best. But I, I believe at times, if the truth be known, we haven't. I, I see it with people in the church sometimes. I've done my best to get along with them. No, you haven't. You don't know my heart. You can't judge me. No, I'm just watching what you have and haven't done. Come on now. You can get along with a boss that treats you like junk. Get along with a wife that doesn't appreciate you or so you think, but then you can't get along with a brother at church? You ain't trying then, are you? You're not working too hard at it. You know, you heard that song years ago, What Have You Done For Me Lately? Well, what have you done for them lately? You say, well, I don't want to do nothing for them. Well, you haven't really given your best shot then, have you? We could look at verses about how we deal with our enemies, let alone with people that are brothers and sisters of Christ or with our wives and husbands. The old adage says it takes two to tango. So it goes without saying that both people have to be willing to cooperate or sooner or later the marriage will fall, fall apart. There's no doubt about that. But you can only do your part. You can't, you, can't worry, you can't make someone else do the right thing. But as believers today, we are to do our human best. We are to do everything we can to cooperate and get along. So, first of all, a constant, a consistent cooperation demands compromise. There's, a, there's an issue of give and take here. There's a matter of give and take in a marriage. Now, I'm not talking about compromising where the Bible is clear. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen, I, I, don't even, I can't even go into some things that husbands want their wives to say or do or go or whatever. And sometimes women want their husbands to become less than a man and all kind of weird stuff. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about compromising areas where the Bible is clear. But I am telling you this. We have to learn to compromise in some areas as husbands and wives if we want to co- and cooperate with one another and get along together. And we, we, you know, the old deal, you know, which way do you, you know, squeeze the toothpaste, you know? From the bottom, the side, you know, the middle and all that stuff. We better learn to compromise a few things. You know, what sides the toilet paper come out on? You know, under or over? I'm an over guy myself. I don't like that under stuff where I got to reach and try to find it. You know, I'm like, whoa, where's that at? You know, and you got to, and it all rolls. No way, buddy. Put it right on top where I can get it, you know. They got this new stuff called recycled toilet paper. I don't want nothing to do with recycled toilet paper. (laughs) Nothing at all, my friends. I want the fresh stuff. First time. So we're not talking about 
compromising biblical morals or, or roles or responsibilities or obligations. We're talking about compromising in our relationship. I mean, honestly, how many, how many marriages have suffered because we don't know, well, we're going to my parents for Christmas. Well, I don't think, we were at your parents last year. Yeah, I know, but my parents, are, you know, they're having something special. Yeah, every year is special at your parents. But what about my parents? You don't care about my family. All you care about your family. Don't, hey, listen, don't look at me like we. I know stuff like that goes on in homes and families yeah. and relationships. Yeah, and it's so stupid. It makes no sense to me. Why don't we just be fair about things? And if mom and dad can't handle it, tough. I'm sorry, but this year we're going over here, mom. Uh, well, I really want you here, honey. We can't make it without you. Hey, listen, remember, the Bible says that I left my mother and father to cleave to my That's wife. Sorry, I'm not your little kid anymore. We'll see you next year, Mom. I love you to death. I'll call you on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, whatever, but I've got to go. Or, I listen, I lose that. You're wonderful, but... I mean, you're great, but... Okay, I mean, let's face it, you know? And so we, we learn to cooperate, to even compromise at times in some areas. And we do what we have to to make the marriage work. A consistent cooperation demands a common purpose. If we're going to cooperate, then we need to feel like we're both going the same direction, that one partner's not being selfish, self-centered. Boy, that happens a lot, doesn't it? You know, a wife will say, man, you're always out buying this and buying that, and the kids are going without clothes for school, and I feel like you don't care about the kids or about me. All you care about is you. And then you say, well, let's, let's work on this. Work on what? It's all about you. That's all that matters. Well, if you don't have a common purpose headed toward a common goal in your relationship, you're not going to have much cooperation with one another. You've you got to have that settled. And finally, number five, I'm just going to knock it out, just mention it, a careful consideration. We have to be careful to consider one another, a careful consideration. In 1 Peter 3, 7, the Bible says, Likewise, you wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. We don't have time to get into this, and it's not, it's, not, it's not rocket science here. We need to be very careful to be considerate to one another. Put yourself in, in their place. Step outside of yourself and look from the outside in and try to see things from someone else's perspective other than yours. Be considerate of them and what they're enduring and dealing with. I, I'm amazed how many men in the past, their wives have viewed them as being inconsiderate taking them for granted. I tell you what, I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you. I could not have ever done what I've done without my wife. I could never, ever, ever have, have uh, uh, been in the ministry the way I was. I couldn't have possibly uh, had the kind of life I've had if it wasn't for my wife. I mean, honestly, it, it, I can't even tell you. There, there's no way. I could never replace her. I could never. Uh, she teases sometimes, yeah, well, if something happened to me, you'd find somebody better. Yeah, right, whatever. Are you kidding me? I mean, I'm not stupid. And you know what? Can I tell you this? You ought to feel the same way about your wife. Yes. Amen. And she ought to know it. And it's the same thing with you ladies. He ought to believe that he is the best thing since sliced bread in your eyes. He may look hideous in a mirror. And he may not have the least bit of tact or or suave and debonair approach, but let me tell you, to you, he is Don Juan. You know, and I'm not talking about being lying, but I'm saying in his mind, he ought to say, if there is one person here that thinks I am the 
you know, cream of the crop, it's her. And, and as you look at him and you, you say, man, you work hard and you do this. And he says, oh, I don't work that hard. Oh, yes, you do. I look at what you're doing. I appreciate what you've done for me and the kids and the family. I, I'm telling you, uh, I, 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 man, what you do is valuable. You're being considerate. You're con- being carefully considerate. I thought that was my phone for a second there. It sounds just like mine. I went, oh, man, I forgot to turn it off. <laughs> Wouldn't that be terrible for the pastor not to turn his off? It happened to me before. It did happen once, but uh, I'm glad it try not to let it happen. I don't bring it with me anymore. Fortunately, I don't have it. I, I just have that little pack. But anyway, so nonetheless, a careful consider. Let's be considerate of one another. Let's step back and consider what they do for each of us. Think about how much your wife really does and what she endures and what she puts up with at times. And think about, ladies, what your husband does for you and the things he takes care of. I mean, we need to be considerate. He's working hard this week, so be careful. She's been very busy this week, and the kids have been overwhelming for her. That's fine. Be considerate of her. You know, think about that, you know, and, and, and give people the benefit of the doubt. And be careful to consider one another. So marriage has to be enduring. It cannot be eroding. And let me tell you, it's going to erode. If you don't take steps every day in your marriage, if you don't really make it an issue, it will eventually erode. And you have to be very careful with that. Boy, don't just assume that 10 years from now you'll be married. Don't do that. Although there ought to be a cherished commitment and you ought to have that confidence, don't you take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. I've known fellows in the past that have said things to me like, well, she would never divorce me. She's a good Christian. I said, you're a fool, son. You're a fool. Good Christians are made out of the same thing bad ones are. Flesh. Let me tell you something. You put put enough on somebody's plate, sooner or later that plate's going to crack or it's going to end up falling. And I'm going to tell you something. Don't put her in that position. You take care of some things. You deal with some things. Don't take her for granted. And it's the same with you ladies. Don't take him for granted. He might not be everything you ever dreamed he should be, but he's probably more than you deserve. You heard me. And fellas, she's probably more than you deserve. I know I got more than I deserved. So let's not take each other for granted. Let's be very considerate of one another. Father, we need you.